the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. John chapter 1. 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood or overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Christ. Good morning, everybody. Um, 
As Paul has said, my name is Catherine. Um, I am an ordinand at Wycliffe, just down the road, um, and I've been there since October. Um, and it's really good to be here with you this morning. Thank you very much for allowing me to come and speak to you. I am the eldest of four children, um, and when I was about 12 or 13, my youngest sister was just a toddler, and her favorite word at the time was why. That was her automatic response to every question, every comment, why, 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 why. And I'm guessing that for many of you, you may well have had similar experiences of the inquisitive nature of small children. And the passage that we've just had read to us is John's response to that age-old question of why. This section of scripture is so full um, of beautiful theology that we could be here till Christmas and packing it all. Um, but you'll be pleased to know I'm just going to pick out three key points that I think this passage teaches us about Jesus. First of all, his eternity. Secondly, his humanity. And thirdly, his divinity. But a couple of background bits of information, first of all. This section of John's gospel is often known as the prologue an introduction that establishes for us the context. It's setting the scene for what is about to follow. This is John introducing his Jesus story, possibly a wider gateway to the Jesus message, and potentially to the whole of all creation. And the New Testament was um, originally written in Greek, and in Greek, the word for word is logos. And in this context, it's used to refer to Jesus. For us today, it seems quite unusual to talk about a person as a word. But actually, for John's readers at the time, for his listeners, it would have been completely normal, and they'd have been really familiar with this idea. So within Greek philosophy, logos refers to the reason why, the purpose behind what took place, the answer to my sister's favorite question. And we still see that used today um, when we think about things like biology, the reason behind life, uh, geology, sociology, and there ends my knowledge of ologies, but all of those other things tell us about the reason why something is the way that it is. And we see Jesus here being the logos, the ultimate reason why everything happened. But John's Jewish audience would have also been completely at home with this concept. In the Old Testament, we hear God creating the world by his word in Genesis. His word powerfully accomplishing his will in the book of Psalms. The word coming from God's mouth for Jews wasn't simply a voice, a noise, it was a creative power that was actively doing things in the world. A word is a communication expressed by one person that affects another. And Jesus is a communication, a word from God for us, explaining why and powerfully acting. So first of all, this passage teaches us about Jesus' eternity. In the beginning, the Logos was there. The word was in existence before the creation of the universe. And this is in stark contrast with the other three Gospels. John decides that he will begin his account before Jesus' birth, 
even earlier than his earthly ancestry. Jesus is eternal, stretching back before the dawn of time. And in these opening words of John's Gospel, we can see some clear parallels with the story of creation in Genesis, in the beginning. In this familiar yet unusual sentence, John is reminding us of a time when God's creative world, creative word, was so powerful. And it's suggesting to us another really pivotal event that is about to occur. John is setting God's redemptive work of Jesus on the cross into a much bigger cosmological context, one in which the word has eternally existed with God. And it's through this epic eternal existence that we receive eternal life, through believing and trusting in the one who was and is and is to come, we too receive that promise of eternity. We are joined with Jesus in a never-ending relationship with the Father. Through his humanity, Jesus was able to make an atoning sacrifice for us and for our sin. His physical death on the cross satisfies the wrath of God and buys us our salvation. This word speaks to us about Jesus' eternity. He was throughout all of time. Number two, this passage also teaches us about Jesus' humanity. Verse 14 tells us, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made his home with us. He moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became the living word. No longer an abstract principle that couldn't be seen, but a physical, living human being. I used to be a teacher, and I know that from my experience with teenagers, that people respond much better if you can see something, rather than talking to them about something that they couldn't really grasp, that was quite a difficult thing, when they could have something in front of them that they could touch and see and interact with. That made them understand things so much clearer. And I don't know about you, but for me, knowing that Jesus was a living, breathing man who walked around on earth, just like I do, he had relationships, he laughed, he cried, then that makes it so much easier for me to be able to relate to him. Jesus was fully human, just like you and I. And it's only through this incarnation, through this flesh taking of the word, that we fully see the revelation of his grace. Greek grammar is not my strong point, as will have been highlighted by an exam I took on Friday. Um, But in this passage, when we're reading about the word, the word was made flesh. This was made part of it. The grammatical tense here is telling us that this was a definite, completed action. There is no going back in the incarnation. It is done. Jesus became human. And this act of self-humbling on the part of God is completely and utterly irreversible. God is eternally Emmanuel, God with us. And through this, we can have such a personal, intimate relationship with God. Through this incarnation, we're able to relate to him physically as a human. Through his humanity, Jesus was able to make an atoning sacrifice on the cross for us and for our sin. His physical death upon the cross satisfies the wrath of God and he buys our salvation. His open arms bridge the gap 
between us and the Father. Heaven touches earth, and we are caught up in God's beautiful embrace. So we can learn about Jesus' eternity, Jesus' humanity, and finally, Jesus' divinity. And in some ways, this is the easiest point. Jesus is God. This is John's key point as a gospel writer. We see it again and again and again. And he's highlighting the divinity of Jesus, laying his cards out on the table from the very first sentence. We are left with no doubt as to what it is that John thinks about Jesus. And I wonder how often we see that in our culture today. How often we show that in our own lives. Jesus is God, and he is our saviour. I'm training to be a priest, and I know that there are definitely times when I walk away from conversations, and I think, actually, do you know what? I missed a really great chance there to tell someone about Jesus. Jesus was God, and John intends that the entirety of his gospel should be read in the light of this very first verse. Opening lines can be really important, And as far as they go, I think John hit the nail on the head. If Jesus' humanity allows him to sacrifice his life for our sins, then it's his divinity that means he can forgive us our sins. The depth of God's love is shown for us in his willingness to become incarnate, despite being completely divine. Jesus wasn't just any old man. He was God's son, God himself. And the ultimate becomes the lowly. So this passage speaks to us of Jesus' eternity, there before the dawn of time and forevermore at the right hand of the Father. It speaks to us of Jesus' humanity, of his willingness to enter into the frailty of human condition, to suffer alongside us in order to carry us back to the Father. And finally, it speaks to us of Jesus' divinity, of one so great as to move mountains and to breathe stars into existence, yet so humble and living beyond belief as to die for each and every one of us. Amen.